Megan. We we need to remember that we are free. I thought as she sang that of John eight thirty six. It says, "So if you are free in Jesus Christ, you are free indeed. The Son set you free." And we need to remember that instead of walking around looking like we've been baptized in pickle juice. We need to have a sense of the fact that we are free to dance and to sing and, and to love Him from a heart that's forgiven. And we need to be that kind of community. Kingsway needs to be a place of grace, a place of, of love and forgiveness. And Of course, we're all scarred and we're all broken, but that's why we have a Savior. And, and He wants to use us to touch a world. And I'm grateful that uh, so many of you are those kind of people. We just finished Bible school, and what a blessing. You know, I tell you many times, I, I just always feel like, I, and I'm going to do it someday, buy me a pair of pom-poms. So I can say, go, 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 and just love people and love Jesus. And I watch you do that, and it just, it always continually thrills me. And of course, I was able to watch that during Bible school, as we were able to touch a lot of kids, and uh, it takes a lot of people to do that. And I just want to brag on you and thank you for serving the Lord. And doing that, and then the camping trip too. Uh, I chickened out and left early uh, Saturday, but I did spend the night and stay for a while. And Daniel had a blast, and so did some of the other boys that went. And I'm grateful for the guys. Uh, you can't have too many godly men, and we live in a tough world. And our boys need to see real men, men that love them and love the Lord. And we got some of those around here, and I'm grateful that you guys are willing to fill that role. And, of course, look forward to more opportunity for that, because my boys need that. And uh, I need it too. So thank you for that. This morning we're continuing on in the Song of Songs, and we're going to look mostly at chapter 5 and a little bit into chapter 6. And we have these ancient love songs that show us how love is meant to be. In marriage, love with a man and a woman as God designed it. And the truth of the matter is, we are born with a selfish man, a sinful nature, and it is so easy for self to take the throne. And I remember years ago when I was in seminary down in Texas, and the church I was an intern at, the preacher there, and he was preaching on marriage one time. I'll never forget the analogy he used. He said, many couples are like two ticks on a dog. Just trying to suck that dog dry. And guys, that is that is a um, recipe for disaster in relationships. And that's so true in marriage as well. And, and what I want to talk about this morning is moving from selfish to servant. But you know what? This is not just true in a relationship of marriage. I believe it's God's design for all of our relationships. He wants us to move from selfish to servant. Because when selfish is our main mantra, that's a disaster. It is impossible for relationships to really flourish and to be as God means them to be until we become servants. And so we want to look at that. But turn with me to Song of Songs and I'll read the first couple of verses of chapter 5. And Of course, we'll move along further to get through there. But let's look at verses 2 through 4 for our reading. And I'm going to ask you to stand in God's honor when you find that as I read aloud. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my lover is knocking. 
Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. I must have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I sole them again? My lover thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. Let's pray. God, as we come to you, Lord, we need to hear from you, God. And Father, I feel woefully inadequate, because I am, in order uh, to be your vessel. But that's some of the beauty of your magnificent grace, is you take the weak ones and you use us, Lord. And so I just pray for your anointing. I pray that you help me to to speak clearly, uh, to speak with courage, to speak with conviction. Uh, Father, that you might uh, do what you want. And Lord, help us to listen with a heart that is in tune with you. And Lord, may you just bless us, God, as we continue on. Thank you for blessing us so far. And we'll trust you to work, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Because I got to thinking about many of the love songs today, and I'll go through my radio and I'll you know, listen to different types of music, uh, not just the popular Christian music, but other styles too. Many of the love songs that you hear are one-sided in that this is what I want to see. This is what I want to feel. This is what I want to enjoy. This is how I want to be pleased. Most of that stuff I've noticed is more selfish than it is servant. And God wants to, He wants to do a work of grace within all of us that we can move away from just thinking about what I want to what my loved one needs and how I can feel that need. How by the help of God I can love her or I can love him the way Jesus means for it to be. And like I said, as I thought about it, it, it's true in every type of relationship that we have. Uh, You know, so often we talk about wanting to experience the fire of God. But many times we want to see how close we can get to the fire of sin and not get burned. Rather than get close to the fire of God and experience His light and His warmth and um, His light. But um, anyway, here's another relationship. I ran across this prayer someone had written said dear god so far today i've done all right i haven't gossiped i haven't lost my temper i haven't been greedy grumpy nasty selfish or overindulgent i'm very thankful for that but in a few minutes god i'm going to get out of bed and from then on i'm probably going to need a lot of help amen we all can resemble that remark right at times. Well, let's look at the text here, and as we open up, we see a couple where she gets mad at her husband and locks him out. <laughs> so uh, let's look at this thing here. He says in, in verse 2, or the scripture says in verse 2, it's this song. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake, and my lover's knocking. She's, he basically says, Open up. And uh, he's sweet-talking her, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. When is it? Well, it's obviously very late or very early, depending on how you look at it, late at night, early in the morning. He says, my head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. 
Uh, this guy had what I call a lifetime type of work. You know, you got some jobs where you punch a clock and you're there, you know, nine to five, you know, or, but he has a lifetime type of job where it's his life. It's not what he does, guys. It's who he is. And he's on call all the time. I mean, this idea of being the leader, being the king, isn't always all it's cracked up to be. There are a lot of responsibilities. And remember, as I told you, uh, one of the weeks, I believe that the Song of Songs was written early with Solomon. I believe it's when, when he was young, and when his heart was more in tune with God and, and more of wanting Wanting to know how to lead, how to discern right and wrong and serve the people. And then Proverbs, I believe, was more in the middle of his life as, as God had given him all this wisdom and, and he was able to, to share that and write that down. And then Ecclesiastes later in his life when he had messed up royally and he's looking back with regret and giving counsel, counsel to follow God, to obey God, to serve Him. But in this time... We find him here. He's, he's busy. His heart's heavy. And he comes home and, and evidently his wife's not happy. He's like, let me in, honey. But the door's not opening. And uh, she's not responding to his voice. And so her sin is that in her anger she rejects him. She locks him out of her life. She says, no, you can't come in. And her excuses, quite frankly, just aren't good enough. Um... You know, she pretty much says it's too late, too early. Uh, I have a headache. And, uh, you know, you get down here in verse 3. She says, I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I sold them again? She says, hey, uh, I'm already asleep. I'm already in the bed. I'm, uh, I don't want to get up. I, I don't want to let you in. I don't. I need to take a shower. I don't want to do that. Um, and so he's trying, this guy's trying to break into his own bedroom. And so going on here in the text, in verse 4, says, My lover thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I rose to open for my lover, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh, on the handles of the lock. I opened for my lover, but my lover had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. So what happened, guys? He... He just took it as defeat. He said, he said, you know what? I can't argue with her because she always wins. I can't get my way, so it's time to retreat. He just left. He had an attitude of, this is not a time for debate. It's late and I want in. If she's not going to let me in, I'm out of here. I'm gone. And I think many times that happens because the ladies need to talk it out and the men need some viable way to say this is fixed. And, and many times, you know, we'll talk, but it's only for a brief time, and then we're done. We just want to back away from it, but the ladies have a need to keep talking it out. Well, he'd run out of that, and he was gone. And, and so look here, as it goes down through here, uh, evidently, later on, she realizes what has happened. Um, some say she fell back asleep. Uh, I don't know if she did or not, but she realizes he's gone. Verse 6, she opened the door. She looked for him, uh, and then her heart sank. And she thought, uh-oh, what have I done? He has left me. And then she says, I looked for him, I didn't find him. And, and, and so she's worried. How mad have I made him? Has he departed? 
Remember earlier in the songs, we looked at one of the songs, and she had this nightmare that, that he, had, he had left her, he had run away. And you know, sometimes I hear those stories of husbands and dads who one day they leave and they don't come home. And they walk away. And, and the family's devastated and hurt. And, and she has this fear, and, and he's gone. And, and for a brief moment, she's sitting here and she's thinking, is he going to come back? Is, has he left for good? And, and notice down here, um, verse 7, you pick, it picks it up. It says, the watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me, they bruised me. They took away my cloak, those watchmen of the walls. O oh, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my lover, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. Now, I don't know if she's thinking through this, visualizing it, or if she's asleep and has a really bad nightmare, but she pictures herself looking, and then she, she's so hurt, she pictures herself being beaten and punished for her selfish act in, in locking her husband out and keeping him out. And, and, and so she's, she's broken over that as she thinks about what she has done. And then she wakes and she rounds up her girlfriends to seek some wisdom. Look there in verse 9. How is your beloved better than others, most beautiful women? They ask, well, tell us about him. Tell us about your... What, what did he do? Tell us about how you feel. He says, how is your beloved better than others that you charge us so? And um, here's the response, verse 10. My husband is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. Well, it doesn't sound like too much of a gripe here. She's already moved beyond a hurt, and she's saying, "Well, you know, he is pretty much a stud. He he looks pretty fine." And and she's thinking about that, and then she goes on to describe that verse eleven: his head is pure as gold, his hair is wavy and black as a raven. She likes that hairdo, and he's styling with all that, right? And, and his eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk. Mounted like jewels, she has looked into his eyes deeply. And she has seen those eyes, and she has been mesmerized by the beauty of his eyes. <laughs> and then he goes on and says, His cheeks are like beds of spice yielding perfume. High, you know, nice cheekbones, lips like lilies dripping with myrrh. Man, the sap's flowing, isn't it? Uh, his arms are rods of gold set with chrysolite. His body's like polished ivory decorated with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like lemon and choices at cedars. Man, this guy works out. He is buff. He is, he, he is physically fit and, uh, she's noticed. <laughs> and, and, and she describes that, and then she says, verse 16, His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my lover. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. And we want to come back and focus on that, verse 16. This is my lover. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. <laughs> Man, this guy not only has a face that makes a woman blush, uh, but he just melts the heart uh, in all ways, her heart. And chapter 6, verse 1 says, Where's your lover gone, most beautiful women? Which way did your lover turn that we may look for him with you? Now, I want to look at this, and I want to look at ways that selfishness is displayed. And, of course, the focus uh, here is on the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. But I think these principles uh, 
often apply in all relationships. Uh, first, what's happened here is just a simple denying, denying the spouse of being close to her. She just said, no way. She was mad, and so she just said, no, I don't want to be near you. And then second, uh, many times what happens is it's a one-sided initiation. Man, people need to be complimented. People need to be um, spoken of kindly and with love. And they need to be built up because we're all so weak. And if you're always the one who is initiating, if you're always the one that's saying, I love you, I appreciate you, or, uh, you know, I want some sugar or sweetie or whatever there. If you're always the one that's initiating, then that's one-sided. And, 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 and that often causes a problem of, of uh, you know, I, I need to be the one on the receiving end. I need the one receiving the love. And then third, you do as little as possible. There are those that just, they want to know the bare minimum. What is it I have to do to get by? You know, I tell it so many times, but... The guy that his wife always complained about the fact that he never said, I love you. And finally he told her, he said, Look, I told her 30 years ago when I stood with her at the altar, I love her. And if I change my mind, I'll tell her. You know, that doesn't cut it. There has to be that constant sense of always letting people know. Don't assume they know you love them. Don't assume your loved one knows that. Don't do as little as possible. Go out of your way to show love and affection and kindness. Uh, That is just so critical. And then fourth, there's sabotage. Times people do things to get space. You know, it's hard to be romantic and look at your spouse if their teeth are green. Or if, you know, they hadn't taken a shower lately. Or, or, you know, it's like, you know, sabotage. Or or being mean or unkind and... uh, you know, they need to help one another and love one another, build one another up. That's also critical. Um, now, why is it that people often have space with their loved one, deny being close to their loved one? First, it may be a sign of abuse. Maybe something has happened in the past that has caused great pain in the life of your loved one. And they're holding on to that pain. And they haven't been able to work through that and find forgiveness. You know, many times it breaks my heart. I have seen people that will go through multiple marriages and divorces. I think of one man who was married. uh, uh, Well, he's on his fourth marriage. He went through three divorces. And the more I talked to him, I began to realize he continued to take the problem into the next marriage. There was never a healing of that problem. There was never learning from that problem and putting that aside. You know, it was always what the other person did, but he had some areas where there needed to be healing that happened so that he could love his wife as he used to love his wife. Uh, Next, there's a covenant abuse. There's those people that say, well, she married me, she made a covenant to me, and she better act like she loves me. And when I tell her jump, she better ask how high. You know, and, and they're ones that might quote uh, verses like this, 1 Corinthians 7, 3. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. 
In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And baby, this is mutual, you know. You know. So he he overlooks the fact that maybe he's not being kind to her. Maybe he hadn't washed any dishes in 15 years of marriage, or done a load of laundry, or took some time to take care of some errands that never seem to go away. Uh, marriage is a two-way street. It's not one way, but it's meant to be reciprocal love that looks at the needs, at things that need to be done, and seeks to accomplish those things. Uh, third, there may be a problem of fatigue. Someone said that fatigue makes cowards of us all. Man, when we're tired, we tend to be grumpy, and we tend to be selfish instead of serving. So maybe we need to step back and look at our schedule and, and make sure that our loved ones are not a target, but instead are receiving love. Maybe we're, we're running so crazy that we don't have time to really look back and, and say, okay, is my wife receiving the time she needs, the love she needs? Am I helping her or am I so tired that... Uh, I'm not reaching out to her, not reaching out to her. Fourth, uh, manipulation and punishment. You know, there's that, I'm not going to be nice to you. Or I'm going to withhold physical intimacy from you. And there's this sense of manipulation. There's this sense of finding ways to punish one another. You know, like the guy that said, man, when my wife gets mad, she doesn't get hysterical, she gets historical. You know, and, and remembering those times of, of pain and uh, bringing it back. And then uh, seven, along with that, sometimes people feel like they have a right to be selfish. We live in a culture that is rights-driven. I have my rights, and I must be able to receive my rights. That's not the heart of a Christian. You know what it said about Jesus in Mark 10.45 that the Bible says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Guys, God wants to do such a work in us that the first question in our minds is not, How may I be served? Or are my rights being violated? But how may I be a servant? And God, how may I overlook an offense or a hurt so that it doesn't take root and cause pain in my relationships. Now, uh, what happens when there is a refusal or an inability to agree? Um, is there a standard in the Scriptures to help between a husband and wife? When we're trying to serve one another and we don't agree. 1 Corinthians 6.12 is a verse that comes to my mind often that I think is a key principle in the way we need to treat one another. Of grace, It says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So first question here, in this area of conflict, does it agree with the Scriptures? Is it permissible? What about other authorities? You know, what about laws and things? Does it follow suit? In those areas. Is it permissible? Is it legal? Secondly, um, in, is it helpful for the marriage? Is it helpful or is it hurtful? Is it going to help you be closer to your loved one? 
or is it going to hurt you? Is it an area you're trying to force or is it an area of grace to your loved one? Third, does it pull you together or does it pull you apart? Does it pull you together or does it pull you apart? If it doesn't bring you close, drop it. Fourth, does it cause you to be vulnerable and connected or does it cause you to be fearful and want to hide? Do you feel safe with your loved one? And in this area, do you feel like you can be open and trust Him, or do you want to keep it secret and hide it? Guys, if, if you have that feeling, if you want to keep it secret and hide it, that's not the level of intimacy that He wants for a husband and a wife. He wants to teach us how to learn to grow and being open and honest with one another. And uh, that's such a critical part. Uh, fifth, um, are you free from temptation because you're together enough? Do you not see each other? Are you not physically intimate for months? Are you together? As you meant to be together? Because the Bible says it's a temptation that causes you to go astray when you don't get that attention that you need. And, and that's so critical. Um, so critical. Alright, um, third question here. Will I be enslaved by it? It's the next question. If if I receive this attention, is it something I have to have again and again and again? Is it going to be my way or the highway? Am I going to become a slave to receiving this thing that I requested? Um, you know, selfish people make terrible homes, terrible lovers, terrible workers, terrible parents, and they leave a terrible legacy. And we're to be like Jesus. And I love in Philippians 2... It says he emptied himself. Another translation said he made himself of no reputation. You see, Jesus came and he came not selfish. He came as servant. And I mean the ultimate servant as he went to the cross. He, he showed us what that really means. That attitude was, was shown through that work. You see, um, selfish and servant makes a terrible marriage. When you got one selfish, you got one servant. Selfish plus selfish, that's a train wreck. No way that's going to survive. But servant plus servant is his plan. To be sensitive to one another. To show grace to one another. To be servants instead of being selfish and to ask God's help with that. Um, you know, I think it goes all the way back. We're born with that sinful nature. And then many times, especially in our culture, uh, as parents raise kids, the question is asked, what do you want? I want as much as I can get, Mom, Dad. And if we're not careful, we give them what they want. So, you know, they begin to get experienced at that, receiving what they ask for. And then as they grow up and become single adults, they're used to having it their way. This is what I want. This is when I'm going to do it. This is how it's going to be. And if something doesn't happen, that can move right into marriage. It can move right into that relationship where you're called to serve one another. But instead, there's been a long time growing selfishness that is in charge and that's in control. And God wants to change that. So I guess my question here, all this stuff as I've gone through this, and I'll say because ultimately we're focusing on marriage, but really we could ask this question of any relationship we have. What kind of servant am I? I want you to think about that as I close. All your relationships, 
if you're married, let's start with your spouse. If you're not married, uh, other relationships that you have. But all our relationships, think of your relationships. And if you were to ask the people in your life, just honestly tell me, what kind of servant am I to you? What would the answer be? And if it's not what God wants it to be, then may God help us change that. Let's pray. Lord, spend a lot of time basically saying over and over again, Lord, that although we're selfish, we're called to be a servant. And that's the work of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that the Lord Jesus Christ would make me a servant. And my brothers and sisters who are here, oh God, that you would do a work like that there too, that they too, Lord, would learn the heart of a servant. Um, God, that can't really happen unless Jesus is in my life. And there may be someone here who has heard about Jesus and they've heard about what you do uh, in church. You read your Bible, you pray, uh, you come to church services, and you do church activities. But the church is a byproduct of what's happened in your life. That's what it's meant to be. We come together because He's come within our hearts and lives. And I pray, Lord, that You would touch hearts of, of anyone who may be here today who has never quite gotten that, who has never said, Jesus, enter my life and forgive me. Jesus, uh, take over and, and teach me, Lord, Your heart and Your life and that I may in Your power follow the example of being a servant and understand by Your act of service at the cross I, I can receive forgiveness. And if, if You're there, then You can pray and say, God, enter my life, forgive me of my sin and make me new. And, and He will do that. And God, I just pray if anyone is here and, and has not turn to Christ, that this would be the time to trust and to find that forgiveness and to come forward at this time we call invitation or response and that, Lord, we may respond to you, whether it's to come to the altar to pray, whether it's to come before and, and pray with uh, with me, Lord, and, but ultimately before you and to say to your people here, this is what God's done in my life and I want you to know about it. Because that concretes what you do, Lord. When the body of Christ hears it, God, it just concretes and, and makes um, confident a commitment, Lord. And, and I pray you do that this morning, God. We love you, Lord, and we want to see you work. In your name we pray. Amen.